You never know what you're going to get with announcements on Sunday, do you? <clears throat> well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. It's not Good Friday, it's Palm Sunday, right? A um, couple of things before we get jump into our, our Bibles here. Just a couple of things. Um, Logan wanted me to announce that April 6th, uh, the youth, middle school and high school, so make a note of this, April 6th, they're meeting at High Five in Lakeway from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m. Laser tag, bowling, games, pizza. Um, each kid will, um, if you uh, bring 10 bucks, and the church is going to pay for all the rest of the costs um, on top of that. And so please make a note of that, parents. April 6th, Friday night, is that what it is? Friday night. Friday night, April 6th, 7 to 10 o'clock. Also today, we have been putting this thing together since, really since um, November when we talked about legacy and this, uh, we took our legacy offering it in in December. So this afternoon after second service, we're going up to Little um, Country Diner to do a redesign, a little makeover there just to bless our community. And, and so all of you in first service, you want to go home and then change your clothes and come back one o'clock. And as much as we couldn't, we kept on trying to get the owners not to be involved at all with this process. She insists to feed all of you. So she is making dinner for lunch for everybody. And so from 1 to 1.30, we're going to be eating a, a lunch with what she's provided there for us. And then we're going to work the rest of the afternoon uh, on the whole building. So bring paint clothes, dirty clothes. We're redoing the, the whole porch and, and steps and repainting the whole outside of the building, inside of the building, all sorts of stuff. So lots of hands will make this a lot easier and we'll just be a blessing to our community. So that's today um, at one o'clock, just up the hill at the Little Country Diner. All right, get your Bibles out. We've been doing this series around here that we're calling Life in the Balance. And what we're doing is that we're going through the book of Romans, just chapter by chapter by chapter, and um, leading up to Easter, and then we're going to come back after Easter and finish up the book of Romans chapter by chapter. And, and so in case this may be your first Sunday, or maybe uh, you never read the book of Romans, or maybe you missed some of these messages, let me get, kind of get you caught up, because in Romans chapter 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul, he's explaining things in a, kind of a way that a courtroom would be set up. And the case that's before this court is mankind's guilt or innocence before God. The charge is that mankind is, has deleb, deliberately rejected God. Now, Paul, he's the prosecuting attorney, and the accused is all of humanity, all of us. That's who this court case is about, all of humanity. And in the first four chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul is the prosecuting attorney. He's making this point, this case, that everybody in the world has done something wrong, that none of us are exempt. Everyone in this room and everybody who's ever come and will come, that none of us are perfect. And he's making this court case there. And, and it's this overwhelming evidence that we are all guilty of godlessness and wickedness and self-righteousness. And then in chapter 5, he talks about that even though this evil and godlessness and wickedness and self-righteousness has been and is and will continue to increase, God's grace is increasing every, ever more. Not just to match evil, but God's grace and his working goes above and beyond what it is, the evil that's in our world today. And then in chapter 6, Apostle Paul describes that even though God's grace is increasing, that doesn't give us a license just to go out and sin more and more as if some way, somehow, our increasing sinfulness will make God look better. Um, as, as a matter of fact, it, that, that doesn't work at all. It just creates death within inside of every one of us, Romans 6.23. And the wages or the results of sin is death. That's what he describes. Any type of sin in us creates death 
then in our life, which then brings us to chapter 7, where we are here this morning. And if you'll grab a hold of what I'm going to talk about here this morning, this is going to really help you and save you a lot of heartache and, I think, confusion that can happen with your walk with Christ. Because typically, when we first become Christians, when you first make a decision to follow after Christ, it's like everything starts to become new and fresh in your life. You see, you see things differently, and all of a sudden, God's interacting with you differently. It's like you're on this honeymoon with God. There's, there's a freshness. There's all this peace and joy and excitement that begins to happen with your relationship with God, and even here in life. But then after a while, what can tend to happen is that, happens can, that habits can start creeping back into your life. Problems that you had before can start creeping back into your life, and so you start thinking, well, what, what in the world? What is all of this? I thought I had changed. I thought things were different. What's wrong with me? Am I, even I, am I really still saved? Am I, am I still really a Christian? What's going on here? And, and so that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here in chapter 7. Look at this starting in verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is a sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Now here in these verses, we see a lot of things going on here, but one of the things the Apostle Paul describes that we all have these two natures that are working within us. Number one, there's, there's this new nature that's working inside of you. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so your new nature... Um, was given to you the moment that you make a decision to follow after Jesus Christ. There's something that comes, you have, your spirit comes alive in this new nature that is a, is a new aspect of who then you are. It's your new nature that wants to do what's right. It's your new nature that wants to follow after God. It's your new nature that wants to please God. It's your new nature that wants to hear God's voice and to discover his purpose for your life. It's, your, it's this new nature that's earnest and sincere and innocent. But not only do you have this new nature, you still have, number two, this old nature that's working inside of you. And the old nature is the part of you that you had before you made a decision to follow after Jesus. Ephesians 4 verse 22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And so it's your old nature that wants to sin, it's your old nature that never does what's right. Or another way of saying it, really, your old nature couldn't do right even if it wanted to do right. In and of itself, there's nothing that your old nature doesn't have the power to even make right decisions. In addition, your old nature will never change. 
In other words, you can't whip your old nature into shape. You can't discipline it enough. You can't, by your own power, even change it. And here's the horrible thing about all of this. Your old nature, you're going to have for the rest of your life. Even after you make a decision to follow after Jesus, your old nature is still a part of who you are because we're still a part of this fallen world. And so because of that, because we have these two natures that are inside of us, there is the civil war that's raging inside every one of you that is a believer. If you're a follower after Jesus Christ, you have these two natures that are working inside of you that are waging war against what it is that God wants to do in your life. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, so I say, live by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do, so that you do not do what you want. And so again, there's this civil war that's raging inside of you if you're a believer. Your old nature is wanting to follow after your old ways. In other words, your old nature wants to indulge in your flesh. So whatever emotions come your way, your old nature just wants to grab a hold of it and express those emotions. Whatever thoughts come into your head, your old nature just wants to grab a hold of those thoughts and act or speak out of those thoughts. Whatever lusts or hormones rise up inside of you, your old nature just wants to accept that and indulge in those things. But your new nature is wanting to follow after a new way, wanting to follow after God, to follow after what he has for you. And so that's why they're in conflict with each other. How many can realize the conflict that's going on inside of you? Any of you here? Okay, I don't know what happened to the rest of you. How many of you know that there's this conflict that's, that wages war inside of you? Every single one of you. You should all be able to recognize it because that's what you face every single day, every single week. That's the war that's, that's warring on inside of you. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 7. Now, I want you to think about it this way because today is Palm Sunday. So all over the world, Christians are celebrating Palm Sunday, which was the event, the day that Jesus came in to the city of Jerusalem. This was the point where it seemed like everybody was on board. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the long-expected deliverer, the one who's going to rescue us. And the sea was welcoming him in as that rescuer, as that deliverer, as that Messiah. Even the disciples who'd been following him finally felt affirmed that, yes, he is the one. Because the city was excited, so this is the one who we've all been waiting for. But we all know the rest of the story that just four days later, this crowd that had been chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is now beginning to chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And those disciples who said, we'll give our life for you, Jesus, we'll follow you to the death, Jesus, because we really believe in this. Now we're scattering all over the place. And Peter, the one who was so verbal about that he would give his life for Jesus, was now denying Jesus, denying not just one time, but he denied that he ever knew Jesus three times. So how, how does this happen? How can we go from one moment where we're worshiping Jesus and feeling so alive, God, you're so good, look what's happening, and the next moment, we're completely crying, crucify him, crucify him, and even denying his existence. This is what Paul is talking about here, this flip-flop that happens inside of every single one of us. And here in this chapter, he gives us what I think are kind of five key conclusions 
to winning this civil war. We'll talk through these here this morning. The first conclusion that the Apostle Paul makes is he says that I have a problem. I have a problem. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I have a problem. <sighs> that's that's kind of easy to say, right? I didn't say, you're not, not supposed to say you have a problem. You're going to say, I, I have a problem. Look in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And so, Paul, the first thing Paul says is he recognizes and he admits, I have a problem. And I think that's the best place for every single one of us to start. Because before you can step into victory, you actually have to admit you have a problem. I have a problem here. I have a problem with these two natures that are warring inside of me. I have a problem that sin wants to dominate my life. That's where we have to start with all this. We have to recognize there's a problem here. And when you look at this chapter, there's a word that's used over and over and over again. Actually, it's a word that's used 27 times in just 12 verses. And that word is the word I. Not E-Y-E, but just I. Me, myself, and I. And Paul's beginning to recognize that he has an I problem. And let me suggest to you and to me that we all, we have an I problem, folks. See, folks, your, your biggest problem is not the devil. Hello? I, I know we would, we would rather that be the case. I know we'd rather be able to blame that it's, it's the devil that makes me do it. But your biggest problem isn't the devil. Your biggest problem isn't your spouse. Your biggest problem isn't your boss. Your biggest problem aren't those people who drive in the left lane on Highway 71 under the speed limit. That's not your biggest problem. My biggest problem is me. I'm my biggest problem because I have these two natures that are warring. I have this new nature that wants to follow after God, but I have this old nature that wants what it wants, when it wants, and just wants to indulge in the flesh. That's why that's the biggest problem. So that's where Paul starts. The second conclusion that the Apostle Paul makes is he says, I'm confused. I'm confused. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. How many can relate to this? That's what he's talking about here. And I don't know how this makes you feel, but when I read these verses, I feel a little bit more comforted. Because here the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he's recognizing this problem that you and I have. This problem, he had the same problem that you and I have. And he's, and he's, and he's dealing with this, these two perplexing questions. Number one, how can I stop doing these bad things? I don't want to do these things, so how can I stop doing these bad things? And then how can I start doing these good things? That's the questions he's facing here. Because Paul, he just keeps saying, I can't, I can't figure it out. I can't, I can't figure out why I can't do what's right. What I want to do, I end up not doing. But those things that I really want to do, those are the things I don't end up doing. And so here the Apostle Paul, he's, just, he's describing something that I think every one of us face. But because I think every one of us deal with this issue. We face each day kind of with great expectations, great intentions. Today's going to be different. I'm not going to do this and that. I'm not going to lash out on my kids today. I'm not going to lie today. I'm not going to flip off the cars that are in the left lane traveling 50 miles an hour today. I'm not going to look at those websites today. 
I'm not going to gossip today. We start out with these great intentions. I'm going to be patient today. I'm going to be loving today. I'm going to be kind today. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be self-controlled today. I'm going to be self-disciplined today. I'm not going to overeat today. We start out with these great intentions But most of us, for so many times, we end up just falling into that same destructive ditch. And so Paul said, I'm confused by all this. And the third conclusion that he makes, he says, I'm frustrated. (laughs) I'm frustrated. I should be better at this, he describes. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And so he's just saying, I have these great intentions. I have these great intentions, but I just can't seem to pull them off. What is wrong with me? Nothing seems to be changing. I have this great illustration from, that I think summarizes this, and it's from the amazing theological book called Frog and Toad Together. I say that tongue-in-cheek because it has nothing to do with theology. It's nothing about that, but it states this really, really clearly, I think. Listen to this story. Toad bakes some cookies. These cookies smell good, said Toad. He ate one. They taste even better, he said. Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I have ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let's eat one last cookie, then we'll stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let's eat one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do, said Frog. You mean like trying not to eat these cookies, asked Toad. Right, said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. There, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog tied some string around the box. There, now we'll not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog got a a ladder. He put the box up high on a shelf. There, said Frog. Now we'll not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. Frog climbed the ladder, took down the box from the shelf, cut the string, opened the box. He took the box outside, and he shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds, here are cookies. Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. (laughs) You may keep it, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home to bake a cake. Great theology there, right? But this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this message. I have the desire to do what's good, but I just can't carry it out. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I have this problem. And then the fourth conclusion the Apostle Paul makes, he says, I am in a battle, and I am losing. I'm in this battle, 
and I'm losing. Verse 21. So now I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to underline the words, law of sin. The law of sin. And I want you to notice that it says the law of This is really important for us to understand because sin is a law. And just like there are natural laws in the universe, there are spiritual laws in the universe. And sin is that there's a spiritual law of sin. And the spiritual law of sin is similar to the natural law of gravity. When you think about gravity, the essence of gravity is that it wants to push you down. It wants to tie you down. And that's exactly what the law of sin does. Sin wants to push you down. It wants to tie you down. It wants to keep you from being able to move forward and step into all that God has for you. And so you can flap your arms as much as you want in your flesh, and you're not going to be able to step into or rise up into the Christian life that God has for you because of this law of sin. Think about it this way. If I were to go outside, and if I were to find a dead bird out there, if I were to pick up that dead bird and throw it up in the air, what's going to happen? It's just going to fall right back down. Now think about this. Why does it fall back down to the ground? Because it's dead. It's dead. This bird that was created to fly can't fly because it's it's dead. Well, that's what Apostle Paul is describing here. That's how it is with us. If you try to do this Christian life in your own power, you're not going to make it. If you try to do it in your own strength, it's not going to work because sin makes us dead. And Paul's already proven the point in the court of law that all of us are guilty. All of us have sin inside of us, and the wages or the result of that sin then is death. And so you're walking around dead. Now, God created you to fly. Not literally, but figuratively speaking, he created you to fly in this Christian life, to be able to live this Christian. That's how you were created. He created with you that ability, but you're dead right now. And so that's why it's only the power of the Holy Spirit breathing inside of you that can cause you to come alive, to actually step into all that God created you to do. Without the presence of God, without Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, it's not going to work. It's like taking a dead bird and trying to throw it up into the sky. That dead bird was created to fly, but because it's dead, it can't fly. You and I are exactly the same way. And the only way we'll be able to do that is with the power of the Holy Spirit breathing inside of us. And that's what Romans chapter 8 is all about, which we'll talk about in two weeks. Romans 8 verse 2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from what? The law of sin. And so here the Apostle Paul says something very remarkable here. Because there's only one spiritual law greater than the law of sin. And that spiritual law is the spiritual law of the Spirit. And so just like the the natural law of lift and thrust can overcome the physical law of gravity so that an 800,000-pound metal box can get up in the air and float and fly, the law of the Spirit will overcome the law of sin so that you can step into and walk out the fullness of God's will for your life. Do you see this? 
That's what he's talking about here, which then brings me to the fifth conclusion that Paul, Apostle Paul makes. Now he says, I am at the end of my rope. I am at the end of my rope. Verse 24, what a wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death. That word wretched in the, the original Greek language that this was written in means this. It means worn out from exhaustion. Worn out from exhaustion. And when I look at so many people's lives, mine included, I think that's how it is for so many of us. We're exhausted. We're tired. We're tired of this fight. We've been fighting this battle of our two natures, this new nature and this old nature, and we're exhausted. We feel like we can't get the victory. And so here, the Apostle Paul, he's crying out in agony. He's saying, God, I can't change. I can't change this. I can't change in my own power. I want to do this. I want to follow after you. I know it's good, but I can't, it just seems like I can't. I keep stumbling, keep falling into these things that I don't want to do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, when we read this, you probably read it with an American mentality with this, and you don't really understand what he's talking about here, because Paul just referenced a very cultural element that was happening in his day. Because when this was written in the New Testament times, when a person committed a murder, one of the forms of punishment was that they would tie, chain the dead person's body to the murderer. And so if you committed murder, one of the punishments they would give you is that person that you killed, that decaying body, would be chained to your body. And so you would have to walk around with that dead, decaying body. And so when you went to the grocery store, you were chained to that dead, decaying body. When you went to work, that dead, decaying body was, was chained to you. When you went to sleep, you had that dead, decaying body attached to you. When you woke up the next morning, you had that dead, decaying body attached to you. And so it, wherever you went, you were reminded of what you had done. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is describing here. That's the way I feel, as he says. That's the way I feel. I feel like I'm carrying this sin nature around like this dead decay, and I can't get away from it. I can't get rid of it. And that's the way it is with our old sin nature, with this old nature in, it's inside of us. And so the sooner you realize this is what's going on, the sooner you'll come to despair. And the sooner you come to despair, the sooner you'll come into victory. Because Romans chapter 7 is the key to Romans chapter 8. When I was a teenager, I um, was a lifeguard. And one of the things they would teach us in saving people um, in water situations is that you had to be very careful how and when you would try to save somebody. Because when somebody is, is drowning, their instinct is panic. And so when they're panicking, they're flailing all around, they're moving all around. If you try to intervene in that situation, they'll actually pull you down with them. So actually what they would teach us was wait, wait, wait until they stop struggling and flailing and almost to the point of exhaustion, almost to the point it looks like they're going to go under and then that's when you grab them. This is what Paul's dealing with because he's saying, I'm the one who's drowning here. I'm the one who's drowning here. And at the end of the chapter, he finally gets to the end of his rope. And he says this, verse 24, I've tried everything and nothing helps. 
I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? So he goes, he stopped flailing around. He finally came to the end of himself. He finally gives up on himself. And as soon as he does that, something happens. Hope happens. Answer, the answer happens. Too many of us, we're still trying to do this out of self-discipline. We're still trying to do this out of determination and resolutions. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to say these things. I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to look at these things. We're trying to do it in our own strength. And I just want to remind you, folks, it's never going to be good enough. Just like Paul says, you're going to keep floundering. You're going to keep flailing. You're going to keep falling here because you have this old nature that cannot be disciplined. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you that the answer comes. And that's what happens here. He gets this, this flash of hope. That's the answer. Who can save me from all this? Verse 25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Listen, folks, I know there's lots of great programs out there. There's lots of great 12-step programs that help you. There's lots of great discipline. I would just suggest add all those things. But at the end of the day, it's still not enough. Because your answer can only come through Jesus Christ. And I want to point you to that here. Here on Palm Sunday, I want to point you to what the prophets were prophesying about. To what everybody was looking forward to. I want to remind you of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who can save you, who can deliver you. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's presence working in you that will enable you to walk in the Spirit that will overcome the law of sin. It's the law of the Spirit that will cause you to overcome that, to rise up and actually be able to step into all that God has for you. If you would, I want you to close your eyes. Because I want you to think about this. I don't want you to think about anybody else. I don't want you to think about who else needs to hear this. I want you to think about this for yourself. Because the answer to overcoming your old sin nature is it's not going to come through yourself. It's not going to come through other people. It's not going to come through circumstances. It's not going to come through just promising to try harder. It's not going to come through just making new resolutions. The only way that you can live this Christian life, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to let Jesus actually live it through you. You can't do it on your own power. You're just going to fail. You're going to just try doing it over and over and over again, and you're still going to fail. The only way that you can live it is to let God's power live it through you. And so I want you to think about that problem that you're constantly struggling with. What is it that, you're con that constantly tends to snag you, that constantly tends to trip you up? I mean, is, is it your temper? Is it your impatience? Is it your lack of self-control? Is it aspects of sex? Is it not being able to be honest? Is it your thought life? Is it pride? Is it laziness? Is it self-centeredness? Is it alcohol, drugs? Is it food? I mean, what is that, what is it that problem that's constant, you're constantly 
struggling with, because every single one of us have these skeletons in our own closet. The problem is those skeletons, they never tend to stay in the closet. You can push it down, you can shove it down, you can try to close it out, but invariably, it's like a jack-in-the-box that tends to just pop up at the most inopportune times when you blow up in, a, in front of a bunch of people and you're really embarrassed. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 7. And some of you here this morning, you're feeling defeated. You're feeling worn out. You're wondering if you even can do this thing. And you're thinking to yourself, how in this world can I ever live this Christian life? I want to do what's right, but I just can't. And those old habits and desires and patterns and thoughts, they just keep coming up in my life. And so you've been working, you've been, you've been trying to discipline yourself, you've been trying to use your willpower, you're trying to be using your determination, and you make these commitments and these promises, but you continue to fall again and again. Some of you, you've been trying to do what's right, but you're getting more and more defeated. And that's why you have to understand that you can't live this Christian life in your own power. You can't, but Jesus can if you would, I want to just ask you to do something. I want to ask you just, I want you just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath in. Do it again. I want you to take a deep breath in and hold it in. And as you exhale it, say, thank you, Lord. Do it again. Take a deep breath. And as you exhale it, say, I trust you, Jesus. Take a deep breath in. Hold it. And as you exhale, exhale it, say, I trust you that I'm forgiven. Take a deep breath in and hold it. And as you ex exhale it, say, no condemnation. Do it again. Take a deep breath. Hold it in. And as you exhale it, say, I lean not on my own willpower. Do it again. Take a deep breath. And as you let it go, say, I lean on you, Jesus. Do it one more time. Take a deep breath. Hold it in. And as you let it go, say, Holy Spirit, fill me up with your strength. Father, all across this room, Lord, I pray that you would fill us up. That you would breathe life inside of these dead, quote unquote, bodies of ours that we would be able to walk in, to live in all that you have for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are the answer. You're the answer to this, this old nature that tends to war with what it is that we want to do, this new nature that you put inside of us. And so, Father, we take our attention off ourselves. We take our attention off our willpower, and we put it on you. We recognize the problem that we have. We recognize the frustration, the confusion. We recognize this battle that we're losing. But we thank you, God, that we don't, you don't leave us in that state, that you provided the answer through Jesus Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, would you revive us today? Would you fill us up even here this morning? 
We're going to continue just to worship the Lord. And as part of that experience, we have communion up front. You're welcome to come at any time and take communion. As well, we have prayer teams that are here to minister to you, to release really the power of God in your heart. They're going to be up in the front and also in the back. You can go to the front and the back for the prayer teams. But listen, let somebody pray over you. If you feel dead, if you feel like you're not overcoming, let them pray and release the power of God and the life of God in you. Come on, stand to your feet and let's worship God here together. have these <clears throat> words that are just going through my, my heart here that I feel like you need to hear. If you would just close your eyes. Because God wants you to know that he is not the judge you should fear. He's not the judge You should fear. And actually the Bible says it's perfect love that casts out fear. And it's his love that pursues us. It's his love that grabs a hold of us. It's his love that rescues us. It's his love that really even corrects us because he knows the direction that we're heading and he comes in in a rescuing way, not in a judging way, but a rescuing way. And I saw this picture of this, this person who is hyperventilating. And if you've ever been in that panic mode or worry, you know, when you start hyperventilating, it's like you can't get enough oxygen, you can't get your breath, and you're hyperventilating. And, and I just felt the, the presence of God just identifying that that's, for some of you, that's exactly what's going on. You're, you're hyperventilating, and you're, you're worried, you're concerned, and you have all these fears, and, and you're even exhausted in it. And one of the things that we kind of do in the natural, you know, when maybe that's happening in a natural sense, is we take a paper bag and you blow in it. But I saw it kind of in a reversed way, because I saw what the Holy Spirit wanted to do is just breathe into you. So it's not you breathing into something, it's the Holy Spirit breathing into you, and it's like your lungs expand, your, your heart expands, your spirit expands as he does that. And so, Father, I pray for every single man and woman and young person in this room that might be in a place of fear, that might be in a place of hyperventilation, a place of panic and worry and exhaustion, and they're just not winning this battle, that, Holy Spirit, that you would come even now, and begin to blow into their very beings the breath of life. And where there's death, life would come. Holy Spirit, just breathe inside of us. Breathe inside your truth. Breathe inside of us your revelation, your perspective. Breathe inside of us your strength and your overcoming ability. Lord, I thank you. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that all over this room, that every sense of guilt and condemnation that would make us hide and cower and be fearful, 
that, Father, that would be broken off of every single person here in this room today. That, Father, that you would come and breathe life, your life inside of us, new life. That you would speak to those dead areas and cause life to come, hope to come. And so, God, we let go of control. Just as Paul said, we come to the end of our rope and we let go. That Jesus, that you would come and take us. You would come and rescue us. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your strength. This day on Palm Sunday, as we celebrate really the coming Jesus, the coming Messiah, Father, we welcome you. Jesus, we welcome you to do a new work in us, a resurrecting work in us. As we celebrate Passion Week, that you would do that resurrecting work inside of us, new life. I feel like that's, you know, something, that's something general, but I do feel like it's something very specific for some people here in this room. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, grab a hold of some of these people that are praying on the corners in the back and here in the front, and just let somebody just pray over you and to release that new life inside you. I, I, just, I feel just the, the heartbeat of God wanting so desperately to breathe into that situation, what's going on right now in that situation. And so I want to encourage you to do that before you leave. Let me just speak a blessing over you here. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, Easter Sunday. God bless you.